Welcome to life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast, we'll be speaking with Faye Johnson about raising her two children, both born through surrogacy. Welcome to life, love, insight, fertility, experiences. Today, we'll be speaking with Faye Johnson about her experiences in attempting to conceive, deciding on surrogacy, raising her children, and working in (coughs) surrogacy since their birth. Faye will provide significant insight on the topic for everyone listening, especially for intended parents considering this option. Faye, those I work with have so many questions finding the right surrogate, the lifelong journey of telling your children, parental bonding, especially if it's a donor egg. And this list goes on, as I'm sure you know. So thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. And I know we have so much to talk about that I'm not sure where to begin. Oh, you're so welcome, Lori. It's really a pleasure for me to be here. Basically, starting for me, I'm a DES baby, which was a drug that was invented in the mid-40s to help prevent morning sickness and miscarriage. And Um, It was probably being tested on people like my mother in Boston, where it was tested at the time. So I was one of the front runners, you know, in the early, because I'm one of the test babies. Yes, and there's more than people would recognize. It was a large number of women that were given that drug and that couldn't deliver. They would miscarry if they became pregnant. Well, our uteruses didn't work. So you could go through all the fertility treatments, as did I. And everything tested out fine, It compartmentalizing, but it just didn't work. Right. So I did two IVFs when they first invented it, or when it first started here in the mid-80s. And it So that was a while work. ago. Yeah. It didn't work, but, um, and, you know, there still was, there was not an internet then. But for me, my late husband, who was an attorney, came home one day and said, I made the darndest wrong number phone call today. And I said, what? And he shared that he had um, made a phone call on a law case, but had by mistake ended up with the founder of our agency, Bill Handel, who founded the Center for Surrogate Parenting in 1980. That gives me the chills when you say that. Oh, it was just extraordinary. And I was like, woohoo, my lucky day. (laughs) So we were at his office a week later. And I will tell you, ironically, The other woman, Karen, who has been the co-owner of this agency all these years, we we both saw Bill on a 60 Minutes show in 1980. She was 17 in South Africa. And I was a woman in California who was realizing something wasn't working right. But all those years later, there was Bill. And so we met with them, my husband and I. Was surrogacy ever even an option in your mind? Um, do you know, when I heard Bill on that show, I think you intuitively file things in your brain, mm-hmm. knowing that I may need that someday. I think something isn't going right. Wow. So I totally did. And I remembered it. And, um, you know, Karen can recall her parents wanting to change the channel and her at the time saying, no, 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 I want to be an attorney someday, but I want to be the one that wrote the book not the one where you just go to the book. Oh, my goodness. So I think sometimes people travel through many lives and connect at certain points, and yeah. I think that certainly happens. And we kind here. of unconsciously tune into things that we might want to file yeah. away, as you put so well. Yeah. 
So we decided, you know, for me, I was, I was so thrilled that I had found an agency because there was still, there was no yellow pages listing. The internet didn't exist yet. And luckily for me and Bob, my late husband, we, we ended up in the exact best place on the planet to do surrogacy by mistake. It's unbelievable, right? If uh you believe in things being meant to be. It's true. And so we were matched with a, a surrogate who was um, the first surrogate we were matched with um, was named Natalie. And we are still, our chief psychologist is a very incredible woman called Dr. Hillary Hannafin, who does all the matching for our clients. And she is taking into consideration your personality, your style of what kind of relationship you're hoping to have, what your key issues are medically, meaning, um, how many embryos do you have? Uh, is it your egg or is it a donor egg? Um, what would you do in the event of, meaning if you were to learn that the child would not have a quality of life during the pregnancy, what would you do? Would you terminate or would you not? And we have it both So ways. this is extensive. Um, in the 80s when you went, they were doing extensive psychological kind of assessments to make oh, sure still, that people would match the surrogate and the surrogate mm-hmm. would match. And you still do that. And it must have been something so remarkable to find this agency because I'm thinking, how did people find them at all without the internet? Like, was it word of mouth? And even today, people searching for this option you know, finding a qualified agency where you feel mm-hmm. safe and protected and the surrogate does is very mm-hmm. important because we were chatting. It's an unregulated field. It's an unregulated field. So do your homework. Um, but one of the things that I used to do when I would appear on television shows occasionally would be in, in, in particularly in a foreign country, <clears throat> I would look at the camera at the end and just say to the audience, there is nothing remarkable about me except my passion to become a mother. And if I could do it, you can do it. And I would have people find me, you know, through something they saw on TV. And and that was what it took to just say to somebody, you can do this. If your passion is there, you can do this. Right. Passion and perseverance. Yeah. Those two things, I think, and just this, you know, desire. And I think also a priority. Um, for example, a priority for me was not that I physically be able to carry a pregnancy and give birth. That would have been great, but it wasn't in my story. It wasn't going to yeah, be It wasn't in, my in your story. story, but it's part of the journey to have to accept. So you had mm-hmm. a very specific known reason once you mm-hmm. realized that it was because of this drug that your uterus couldn't carry a, mm-hmm. a child. Was there some kind of a process that went on? in your mind, just to deal with the fact that, well, I'm not going to carry the child, but we could use my husband's sperm. Yeah. Well, the other part is, I think, um, emotional energy is key in this whole process of life. But when you run into difficulties, I mean, for me, I look at what's going on in the world today, and I see women who would take their children across a thousand mile trek to better their lives. That is emotional energy mm-hmm. beyond anything I could ever, ever fathom. Yeah. And, but it's emotional energy, regardless of what the subject is. 
but it's emotional energy to say, I am not going to accept where I am because nobody cares but you. Nobody cares that your life goals aren't being met but you. It's the emotional energy to have to say, okay, every day I need to do something to get me toward the goal. Right. And, and the goal can change. So in oh, other words, we could look at becoming a parent in many different ways. So the path of surrogacy is a unique path, just like donor egg is, or just like donor Absolutely. sperm or adoption. So it's a unique path. And I think you had mentioned to me, there was a reason why you wanted to go for surrogacy and not a different path. Um, I chose surrogacy because I really, um, I really felt that my husband was a, he was the only son. He was going to carry on the family name and he wasn't infertile. His family didn't need to end there. I was the one with the physical issue and I felt it was only fair to him and his family that I try to at least have him be the genetic connector. And I will totally acknowledge that back then my in-laws thought I was crazy. They thought I was from Mars they did. with this issue. Um, and I said to them in the beginning, you know, it's not going to make any difference to my family, but your family gets, I'm going to bring home the bacon here. Oh. You're going to end up with genetic grandchildren right. because so I'm crazy. Part of that, when you say that, I like think of all these women that I work with and the genetic link is so significant to them because I always talk about the bonding and the parenting being the relationship that's developed, not necessarily the genetics of that child. I talk about nurturing and caring and relationship building. So the genetics is one piece of that, but I had the opportunity to talk to your son, and there's no doubt that you are his mother, regardless of any genetic link. I mean, he's crazy about you. You have similar personalities even. So I... I have to say that on one hand, you know, I I agree. But on the other hand, do you think in any way that they're not as much your children? Oh, hell no. I think they're more <laughs> my children because of what I went through. The, yeah. I, would, I could do stand-up comedy about this, seriously. I would have <laughs> one of those telephone company belts, yeah. you know, with the powder and the diapers and the wipes. And I could do stand-up comedy about this issue. <laughs> And just sort of you say, were so you know, ready. The Pope, the Pope is coming for the rest of you folks because they're going to say, you had this child after having sex? Well, I don't think we're going to allow that. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just the flip. We didn't have it happen that way. We had to make it happen another way. Right. Um, and that came from what you were calling emotional energy. Yes. And I always say that the core of Every single fertility journey is optimism. And people yes. sometimes don't feel the optimism, but if it's not there, you take another path. And so you did this. You Now you had two children, right? And you said the first surrogate. So there was a second surrogate? Well, Chase's, Chase was from my second journey. Uh -huh. um, my first journey was a, a woman named Natalie, and I have a lovely, incredible daughter named Lily who has grown up to be an occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. And um, and she's in her 20s now. She's a, she turned 30 two weekends ago. Oh, happy birthday 20s. to her. Thank you. Um, but, but, you know, they're very different personalities. 
Um, and Chase was from my second journey. And Lily and I are not at all the similar personality that Chase and I are. Uh-huh. Just we had that was a different donor. But but she was my dream come true. Um, and always both of them will always be that but I honestly felt I think a greater responsibility as a mother because I brought them in yes I brought them in in my 40s they didn't have a choice as as if any child has a choice but I worked very hard to have those children so I took an even greater responsibility when when one of them would walk in and say I think I'll be an aardvark farmer later and they were three, I'd have to, I couldn't say, oh, no one in our family is an aardvark family farmer. Don't be ridiculous. I had to say, well, tell me all about it. Uh-huh. You know, I, I needed, I wanted to have my mind open to whomever these two spirits were. Right. And do you, and so you find with your daughter, do you think she's similar to your husband? And his personality. Oh, yes, very much. She was yeah. far more similar to my husband. So I find, yeah. and I'm sorry to play like this role here, but I do believe that not every child is alike in personality, regardless of the genetics. And, oh, no. and that some of them are just like their father and some of them are just like their mother. And I mean the parent that raises them, not necessarily the person who's um, genetically tied. I'm not discounting the genetics, but um, I believe also- Lily is definitely her father's, her father's girl. And it was a very, it was a, a terrible tragedy to lose him it, for everyone. But I think Lily, it was the, the hardest on yeah. um, because she was so close to him and she's a very much different personality, much more quiet, you know, much more introverted. And, um, you know, I, I think I've always laughingly said I couldn't have made Chase more like me if I'd made him myself. Right. And poor Lily, I think, took the brunt of that. Uh-huh. That we, we two were a lot alike and the person she was so much alike. But she, you know. yeah, and she grew up to be um, in a helping profession. Yep. Which is, oh, I've heard her speak. Part. I heard her speak and, um, yeah. She certainly seems very outspoken and very connected to you in how she talks. I, I believe that's the, the truth. And, and um, I adore her. I mean, she's just an incredible human being. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed even when I was talking to you beforehand, you, you, you give your children the gift of being independent as well as being very connected to you. And so that's why I'm pointing out how connected they actually are to you Thank because you, um, you so ingrain that they are their own unique people, but you have a you huge... You know, I, I many years ago had to ask myself, what was the greatest gift I was given as from my own mother? What would be the greatest gift if I had to name one? And I realized the greatest gift was the joy that she expressed over the fact that we were her children. Mm-hmm. That was the greatest gift. And I thought, wow, that's what it's all about. It's not about are you alike? Yes. Because you are, you aren't, whatever. It's the gift of, of, of cherishing them because they were what, you, you know, landed in your family. So they let me ask you, I'm sorry, just to like ask you a couple more questions if you don't mind only because we only have a certain amount of time but what was it like raising children now the surrogates were around 
It wasn't like they were absent. Your children had the option to meet them. Mm-hmm. And how do you tell them this story? How do you tell them that they were in somebody else's tummy? Oh, I'll tell you, it was very easy for me because I am a rotten liar. I turned <laughs> right. I'm a rotten liar. I didn't want to ever have to do that thing about we need to talk. No, I figured out that children are egomaniacs, number one. So I invented a story because they all want to hear the story of the day they were born. Uh-huh. So I wrote a story called The Night Before Lily. And oh. I actually fashioned it after another story from my neighbor when her little girl was born prematurely. Mm-hmm. But I took and it was called The Night Before Lily. And I would tell this story to them every single night as I changed a diaper when they were infants. I started when they couldn't talk. I was like Seinfeld, you know, <laughs> saying any questions? Oh, good. No questions. It's because you can't talk. Um, but and to that me, that really, also gets you used to telling the story to them. Of course. I, I had to practice my own yes. material. Mm-hmm. I told the story every single night for several years. And then at the end of it, I would ring some tiny little wind chimes that I had that I kept in the house. And I would say, and that's the sound of the angels clapping their wings every time there's a lily born. And then I would say, okay, and now what book do you want to read? But I wanted them to hear it as they develop language skills, mm-hmm. because I'm not talented enough to speak another language. But if I was, this would be my language. Surrogacy became my other language. Mm-hmm. And I needed them to understand the big words in that language. I never wanted someone else to know more about their origins than they knew. Right. And it was simply self-serving. That's why I did it that way. Well, I... I think actually it may have been self-serving in some ways, but in other ways it allowed them to live their life as they do. And so have they always been comfortable with it? I honestly would have to ask them that, and I don't know. I I was the mother and I was kind of, you know, running the show. I mean, they were certainly exposed to it. I did lots of documentaries and they were part of it. And I I always let my own children, my children do their own interviews. I mean, Chase would be negotiating with the Japanese stuff. It'll be Pokemon cards or electronics, and then I will speak (laughs) to you. But I let them do their own interview because it was their story. Yeah, and you know, they tell their story beautifully. I've listened to both of them, and I had we had the great opportunity of talking to Chase, and he insists you tell the child from the day they're born, and he had this one line that I just love. Nobody ever asks you how you were conceived. And when it's, the kids keep saying to their moms, you don't want me, I know I was always wanted. That's That was a clear, clear message from your yourself. Well, I always would start with telling them that everyone comes from the exact same place in the world, a sperm and an egg. Because mm-hmm. it's true. It is true. And I wanted them to feel the normal, not the abnormal. Because my life, yeah. my work, was abnormal but I wanted them to be aware of that but I wanted them to know everyone comes in the exact same place right right no it's an important kind of thing and it allows them to be confident in who they are so what it does is it makes them feel more secure that's an important gift and also to know that without you without your intention of having them they wouldn't be here so in many ways without you and your husband deciding at that point in time there would be no Lily or Chase. 
there would be oh, maybe... Oh, I've used that mercilessly over the years. Yeah. You know, when, so when they would say, I don't have to do what you say because you're not my real mother anyway. Uh-huh. I, I would say, <laughs> really? You know, let's go back and we would talk about, here's my problem. I can't have you. But here's my solution. And right. you were created in my solution. So you want to retake? We can go back. You get my my way or no life. What would you choose? And they would look at me and say, I'll get in the car and do what you say. I said, good, get in the car and do yeah. it. Don't you think that's a normal conversation the kids have with their parents? Of it's they just go for the, any jugular you've got. They do. And I always try and encourage parents. And it's so important. And that's really, I think, why I have the support group for women um, after the child is born. So usually men have not wanted to join it. I would be welcome to having a man join it. But it's for after the child is born. How do you still find, you know, comfort and feel secure in your responses to this little one who's going to become a big one when you tell your story? Because I very much believe that it's the parent's comfort in telling the story that allows the child to be comfortable. So you've mentioned a couple of times, and we didn't really talk about it, but you um, were so, I don't know what the right word is to use, taken, impressed, uh, touched by the whole journey. You've devoted your life to working in surrogacy now for at least 30 years. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's really something. How did you decide that, okay, now I'm going to devote my whole life to helping other women through this? You know, honestly, like everything else in life, you you hit one wall and you need to turn the other way. I was in the film business then. And as much as it had glamour and fun and all of that to the rest of the world, um, when I first met the people at the Center for Surrogate Parenting, I said, I think I want to work here. And they looked at me and said, we need to wait until you've at least had a child. And it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm ready anytime. So I honestly felt that I had found the place that I fit the best, where my passion to do anything really clicked. I realized this was what I should be doing with my life. And I think anybody who still gets up in the morning and goes to work asks themselves at any time, Am I lucky enough to be going to do work that I feel passionate about? And I'm so grateful and lucky to say that I am. Just the support that you give people through this journey. You were calling it emotional energy. It requires a lot of emotional energy. I think it also requires the ability to recognize when that emotional energy is getting a little depleted and you need somebody to help fill up that tank a bit. I mean, I, I you mentioned also that Lily and Chase also you know, met their surrogates and knew who they were and all of that. And I think one thing that you have to keep open in your heart is that this was not just one person making these children exist. That was a big room full of people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to appreciate that, but I wanted them to understand that both Natalie and Tracy, those surrogates, came forward voluntarily to be a surrogate for someone they had never met yet. And that I, you know, they didn't want to have another child and they went back to their own families, which was the way it was supposed to be. But I wanted those two children to appreciate the gift that those families gave to our family so that they would exist. Right. It's truly that. Well, that's a huge gift. And to feel strong enough to be able to do that, 
is remarkable, and I know that you help people through that journey. So Chase had one relationship with his surrogate, and Lily had another, and that's okay that they both have two separate relationships, but know that these people exist. It's, it's, I, it's amazing. I find you amazing in so many ways. I can't even tell you, Faye, because the way you raise these children and your openness and your receptiveness and your your comfort in the process and your decision is, is remarkable. It really is. Oh, wow. Mother, I hope you are hearing this. You did a good job. She did a um, really a remarkable yeah. job you so much. because your desire to be a parent overrode so much. You had so many challenges along the way, and I don't know if everybody was able to pick up on just how many. It's remarkable what you've just done. Even to allow yourself to be involved with the surrogate, for many women, that's a hard thing to do. Talk about emotional energy, right? Oh, you know, those women, I wish I could just shake them and say, get over yourself. Don't <sighs> be jealous. Be grateful. Don't be, don't be envious that, that they were part of your journey. You know, none of this would have continued as surrogacy 40 years ago, 30 years ago. If people like me had not said, I did that, if everyone hid in the closet, we would have not gone further with a, with a, a, a movement of helping people. Yes, yeah, so I think that this has shifted um, a bit with surrogacy, that women are a little bit more comfortable. They're very grateful. I think, I think so. religion plays into it. You know, mm. there's a lot of countries that don't accept it. There's some states here that don't accept it. Mm. But it's something that people are, as it's in the media more and people are talking about it more, people are more comfortable with it than they used to be. Sure. It's the relationship that many people struggle with, with how involved do we have to be. And when somebody goes to an organization where there's a lot of, you mentioned the psychologist there, where there's a lot of evaluation and a lot of matching of people, it's more likely that you will have the relationships that you want to have than if you go routes where maybe you're not able to have all of that testing go on and all that matching go on. Absolutely. And, and I've over the years kind of likened it to comparing a dating website where you <laughs> You know a lot about somebody except what you don't know is is there any chemistry versus meeting someone in a bar you know if there's chemistry you just don't know anything else about them right here you're going to know a lot more and i think that's what we all deserve and owe ourselves is to know as much as we can in anything going forward yeah. no matter what it is yeah, I would agree. And, you know, before we end, I did want to mention just a couple of things because there's so much to talk about with you. But I did want to mention that when I work with people with surrogate, with surrogacy or using a surrogate, many times it's very hard to report the numbers because the doctors don't know, depending on the surrogate. So we want to be sure that the relationship there allows for the intended parent to be introduced to the doctor, to know that they exist, to know mm -hmm. that the child is being born through surrogacy so that they understand the relationships. I would put that onus on the intended parents to um, be aware of their rights and be mm -hmm. able to contact the obstetrician after the surrogate has been released from the reproductive endocrinologist and introduce themselves, even on Skype, and yeah. pay the doctor $200 or something for their consult. But to have that doctor say, I, we are the legal and intended parents. 
and we're going to be part of this journey. We will hopefully be in the delivery room and see you again. But we never want that first meeting to be in the delivery room. Right. Because the doctor. Because it is their child. They are the intended parents. And the surrogate is doing this just to bring the child into the world. And, And just to let you know, even though you didn't ask, what most surrogates tell us, what they really came for, the big moment for them is when they hand that baby to those people. Mm-hmm. Here is your child in the delivery room. That is what they came for. And yes. it is that moment. And, and there are agencies where the surrogate never meets the people. And that is such a crime to me. So don't ever work in an agency where a surrogate doesn't meet the intended parents. Why is that a crime? Maybe we could just... It, to me, it's a crime because it, first of all, disrespects the entire procedure that this woman has done for you. But secondly, it takes away from the surrogate what she needs to complete her emotional journey. She needs to see you as the parents with that baby. That's what she needs to see. Okay. And without that, her, her her journey is not really completed, and, and, and there could be problems. And it's the beginning of your story and your journey. So it's yeah. a, a beautiful transition. Yeah. Well, Faye, thank you so much for being on today. I think this is a wealth of information for people to take in because I, we touched on so many different things. Well, I'll come back anytime. Okay, okay. that would be great. All right. And is there, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, is there a way they can contact you? Oh, I'm... Um, Center for Surrogate Parenting, which is www.creatingfamilies.com, I-E-S on the end of families, and I am Faye at creatingfamilies.com. Thank you, Faye. If anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at laurimetz.net. <laughs>